right. We're in a series called Reroute Your Thinking, and Reroute Your Thinking is the first step in RELATE. It's RELATE is actually an acronym, and we're going to talk about that um, a little bit more today. Um, some of you have, have gone through this, but uh, some of you, this is your first time to hear any of it. So RELATE is, is a process of learning how to do relationships God's way. God has to live forever, right? He's got to do things right. He's not going to live with regret in his life, so he does everything right in his life. And so if we learn to do things God's way, it's amazing how much more peaceful and how much um, better our lives would be and also how much better our relationships would be. Now, does that mean that we'll be reconciled with everybody in the world? No. Is God reconciled with everybody in the world? No, he's not. So it's an understanding, though, that you're free in your life because you're doing relationships God's way. You at least feel good about it, and at least you feel like you've done your part. So reroute your thinking is the very first step. So we're really focusing on that in this series. And today I want to talk with you about your brain issues. How many of you have brain issues? Yeah. Hey, Joe Michael, is the air... I'm like freezing up here. You're not. Damon, come stand right where I am, all right? All right, who here, would, who here today would admit that you are a lazy thinker? Anybody? Some of us? Yeah. By that, I mean that, that any thought that just flies into your brain, you let it have domain. Every thought that just flies in, ooh, I thought it, that must make sense, that must be true. Okay, that's a lazy way of thinking, all right? Uh, you don't vet your thoughts, you don't think them through, you don't check it out. You know, when, when, when a thought flies into your brain, you don't check its ID to see whether or not it belongs there or not. You just let those thoughts jump over the border of your brain and come in and set up residence. And it's a problem, it's a real problem. That's what I mean by lazy thinking, all right? And, and here's the reality. It takes work to have sanity in your life. It takes work to be sane. Wouldn't you like to be sane? All right, I'm not going to ask who's insane because I'll have wives pointing to their husbands. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul said, we, he's talking about we Christians, we believers in Christ, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, we think about what we think about and we make it obedient to Christ. We say, okay, does this align with what Jesus says is truth in my life? All right. So today I'm going to give you some insight on how your brain works so that you can understand this stuff is, is it's science at some level, but it's also spiritual at many levels. You need to know that your brain was not created to be a junkyard. It wasn't the sanitation system of the world's word system, all right? The, the vocabulary of life. The, your brain was not meant to be some kind of sanitation for that. It was, meant, it was not meant as a waste station. Your brain was given for you to manage, to, to protect, to closely watch over so that what? You could have a relationship with God. And you have to do this work. And that's what it is. It's work. 
And listen, it takes an open mind to move forward. You know, you hear people talk about, well, you're just closed-minded. It takes an open mind to move forward, but serious screening and vetting of every thought is necessary. What happens when you put a trash can with an open lid out? People start throwing stuff in, right? You guys are going to the, the results of it, flies. And people start throwing stuff in. That's the first thing that happens. And that's where we get the flies and the stink, right? And cats. Y'all are hilarious. <laughs> the first thoughts that come into your mind. People start throwing stuff in the trash can. And if you're an open mind, what's going to happen? People are going to walk by. And not only do people say, all right, there's a trash can. I'm going to throw my trash in it. They feel entitled to throw their trash into it, right? And so when people see your mind is open, you're just sitting there waiting for someone to throw their trash in. And they feel entitled to throw their trash in. So you've got to be very careful to vet what comes into your mind because people are going to want to fill it up and give you whatever trash that they've learned in their life and put it in there as well. A lot of your struggles in life, a lot of your struggles in life, a lot of the problems that we have in our relationships, the overwhelming majority of these things come from this one thing not getting done. You have to do the work to take captive every thought that comes into your brain. Oh, that sounds exhausting, John. It is work, but it's a lot more work on your life if you don't do this because this is where the problems in our lives come from so here's here's your brain let me give you an idea of what's going on in your brain here's your brain in the middle of your brain you've got what's called the limbic system and the limbic system is a group of components that, that make up what what the parts of the brain that come together and say all right we're going to figure out what it takes to make it through this day for this body to live another day and so the limbic system is looking for threats, constantly trying to figure out what's going to potentially threaten me. And anytime somebody says something or does something, there's the potential of there being a threat in there when you watch the news. We're fixated on the news. Why? Because the reality is our brain is looking to find a threat. And really, we don't feel comfortable in life. We feel a little bit more at ease, I should say, when we do know what the next threat in life is. Why? Because maybe I can control it. Maybe I can protect myself from it. And if I don't know what the next threat in life is, then I'm, I'm a little bit insecure because I don't know what's going to happen to me. And if I know what's going to happen potentially and just around the corner, then I can potentially do something about it. So the limbic system is always looking for that threat. And here's what's interesting as well. Remember we talked last week about the stuff going on in your brain that you don't know what's going on in your brain well this is part of the reason because we've got to know at some level what the threats in life are so we can feel comfortable so our brains will sometimes even make up stuff that's not happening in order for us to feel more comfortable I've met with couples I met with one couple and she absolutely believed her husband was having an affair her brain made it up didn't happen wasn't happening she made it up. Why? Because this, was, this is how she needed to feel more comfortable in life. I know that sounds crazy. That's an extreme situation, but we do it all throughout the day. We'll make up problems just so that we can know there's a threat, what the threat is. So the prefrontal, the prefrontal cortex is another part of your brain. So the limbic system is always looking for something to be threatened with, all right, so that we can protect ourselves, right? 
prefrontal cortex is right here behind this hard, hard part of your head, right? It's very well protected. And, and, and it's the one part of your brain that you have the ability to put the brakes on and say, no, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to think about this. It's the part of your brain where you decide. It's your cognizant thinking. It's your decision-making part of the brain. All right? And it's got to be developed. It's got to be um, exercised. And this is kind of interesting. The, the teenagers, this part of their brain isn't where they're making their decisions from. And so when you see a teenager do something stupid like you and I did when we were teenagers and put a ramp in the middle of the street, no helmet, and no pads or anything, and you jump over tires in the middle of the street with your bike, that's why we do it. It's an emotional. We make decisions emotionally when we're younger. And then there's a transition that takes place as we get older from making decisions with the amygdala, or however you pronounce that, to the prefrontal cortex. That's when we begin to make adult decisions, somewhere around 25. Isn't that great? So that doesn't give our, our students any reason to go out and do stu stupid stuff, right? But that's why they need our supervision, right? So when you get older, you're supposed to begin to think more with this part of the brain than, than the part that's just dealing with the emotions, all right? So you've got the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system. And then we've got in the back of our brain, we've got memories, values, and natural reactions in the back of our brain. All right. Why is that important? Because when the limbic system picks up on threat, starts putting out signals, threat alert, threat alert, the prefrontal cortex, the only place in your brain that you have the ability to, to think, to decide, to pull from the back of your brain, from your memories and values, the only part of your brain that you've got the ability to do that with physically shrinks. Anybody ever had tunnel vision? Okay. What happened? Someone died, right? Something really bad happened or you had a bad accident. What happens is the threat level goes up and to the degree of the threat, the prefrontal cortex physically shrinks and what you're feeling in that moment when you just get tunnel vision is exactly from the prefrontal cortex starting to shrink or having shrunk. And here's the thing. You've only got one to two seconds from the moment of threat. You've got one to two seconds from that happening to the place, the time that the prefrontal cortex shrinks. That's a very limited amount of time, right? So why is that important? Because you need to understand that a lot of the decisions you make in your life were because you were threatened. And we've got to learn how to begin to take those threats to God instead of just living with them. Uh, God knows that we've got this going on. What's the first thing that an angel always says when they show up in Scripture? People are out in the, they're out in the fields, you know, the shepherds are, and all of a sudden... <laughs> The angel shows up, and what's he say? Do not, Do not fear. Fear not, right? Whoa, 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 don't fear. Don't be afraid. <laughs> I know that you're about to be threatened, okay? Your prefrontal cortex is going to shrink, and you're going to miss everything that I've said, and it's a problem. Why? Because when the prefrontal cortex shrinks, we can't get to our memories. Anybody ever walked up to a keypad, and you were 
like, oh, goodness, what's the, what's the code for this? I've punched it in a thousand times. And suddenly you can't remember it, right? Someone's name that you've known for a long time, suddenly their name doesn't even sound right. That's the prefrontal cortex is strong, all right? Um, then your values, you can't get to your values when it comes to a moment of, of being threatened. Uh, so what happens is, is, is your values go out the window. So I'll, I'll meet with a couple that they've, they're in a fight and something's going on in their relationship. And um, I'll ask him, all right, let me ask you are, you, are you willing to take a bus for this lady? Yeah, absolutely. I'd die for her. Well, then why were you wanting to kill her last night? <laughs> you know, what is wrong with you? Here's what's wrong with you. Your values went out the window because you got threatened. And we do stupid stuff, all right? Someone who values not lying and telling the truth will suddenly lie. Somebody that values not cursing or not using profanity will suddenly start using profanity. Why? Because our values go out the window when the prefrontal cortex shrinks. It doesn't give us an excuse, right? So here's what they do like in the, in the military and in the police work and, and stuff and, and firework and stuff. I, I assume as firemen do this too. They, they go through training to protect or to deal with threatening situations. They walk into a building that's a threatening situation and they figure out, who do I need to shoot? <laughs> How do I keep my sanity in a time of threat, right? Uh, so they, pr they practice it. And you and I, general public, we hardly ever work on this. And this is so important for us to keep our cool to keep ourselves managed, our brains managed in a time of threat. And that's why devotions are so important. That's why sitting down and reading the Word is so important. Because what are you doing? You're teaching your brain how to stay functioning properly in a moment of threat. It's a big deal. So the prefrontal cortex is that place in your brain where you do the work to screen and to vet out the stuff that's coming in through your five senses and to decide I'm going to let good go to my heart instead of the bad like we talked about last Sunday. So here's what happens though. You and I like to be on a mental vacation every day. And this is what we look like. This is what we want. This is what we want our brains to be like. We just feel like it's our right to not have to think. This is what we want every day of our lives, just to mosey through life and nobody mess things up. You ever driven home and you pull into your driveway and you're like, whoa, wait a second, how did I get here? That's how powerful your brain is. It took you home and you didn't have to think. But have you ever been driving home and right in the middle of the trip, some kid runs out in front of you or somebody pulls out in front of you, right? What happens? You have to stop and you have to think. And how do you feel when that happens? Urgh, anger, right? Why? Not because the kid ran out in front of you. Not because that car pulled out in front of you. Because you were made to think. And we don't like to think. We think it's our right to not have to think. That everything should just be on auto control and we don't have to worry about it. What's 2 plus 2? 10 plus 10, 11,569 plus 12,458. 
Okay, you hear it? Everybody just laughs, right? Why? Because it's work, John. Don't ask us to work. Don't make us work. But you could do it, couldn't you? What would you have to do? You'd have to close out everything, and you'd have to relax, and you'd have to start doing the work in your brain, and you could do it. You could do it. But you have to shut everything out. What are you using in that moment? You're using your prefrontal cortex to do the work. And so when it comes to thinking, it's so important that you realize your natural predisposition is to say, I shouldn't have to think. My marriage shouldn't be this hard. My children shouldn't be this hard to raise. (laughs) Whatever it is that you think is too hard, the reality is you've got to stop and realize there's some of what some of what is there needs to just be thought through for you using your brain and not just taking in every thought that comes in and saying, okay, that's a valid thought. That's a problem when we do that. So throughout your day, to be mentally and spiritually healthy, you've got to actually think about your thoughts, what's coming in, all right? So last week, we talked about that corrupt heart, right? So this is where you've got to do the work. Filter out the bad stuff and only let the good stuff in. But when you don't use your prefrontal cortex, everything that comes into your five senses doesn't get vetted. It doesn't get screened. It goes right into your corrupt heart. And that's where it gets filtered. And that's where we start believing things that aren't true. That's where we start destroying our relationships. But once it, and here's the problem, once it gets filtered there in your corrupt heart, all you've got to come out of that is bad. And it's destructive. All right, so memories will help you process. This is why your memories are so important. They will help you to process the situation based upon your experiences in life up to now. You've got a lot of experiences in life. Your memories will help you to process. So you've got to do some work to create during a moment of threat to create the ability for you to continue to get to your memories so that you can make a good decision in a time of threat. Your values will also help you to determine the proper way to deal with a problem. So you need to be able to access your values when you're threatened. And if you can't access your values when you're threatened, you're going to end up hurting somebody, hurting yourself, doing something stupid. So these are very important things. And your natural responses are your reactions, and they're the way that you've always dealt with your situations in life. And, and, you know, I talked to a lot of people, and one lady that I talked to, she would always go into the closet and, when she got home and spend three hours in the closet crying. That's tough. That's the way she dealt with it. Some people are introverts, and they hold on to it, and they, they walk away, and some people just, blah, let it out, right? And the way that we've always dealt with our problems and always dealt with our, our situations in life and any kind of negative situation can be changed And let me ask you, how's yours working for you? Is it working? So thoughts happen. They come to you involuntarily, right? A thought just flies into your head. Kind of like a dream. And problems happen when you believe your thoughts. Problems happen when you believe your dreams. Now, there are sometimes going to be God-given dreams, but most of our dreams, come on, guys, we got to vet them. 
right? All of our dreams we got to vet. Even the ones we think are, especially the ones we think are God-given. We need to vet those dreams and make sure they're actually from God. Otherwise, they're just thoughts that fly into our head. We've got to begin to bring account to those thoughts. You have the responsibility to not just let a thought or feeling go unvetted and unchecked in your life. You have the responsibility for that. What happens to your computer when you get one little virus? Problems. One email comes in, and you clicked on it, and then, right? What happens to your brain? What happens to your emotions? What happens to your thoughts when you let one virus in? A lot. So I want to take a look real quickly at an example in the Bible where this, this God was directly involved in trying to get someone to reroute their thinking in this one. This uh, the story of Cain and Abel. You all are familiar with that story, I assume. So try to spot in here when... Cain could have rerouted his thinking, all right? So let me read the story to you. Now, Abel kept flocks, so we have Cain is the oldest of the sons, right? He's the firstborn of Adam and Eve. He's the first person ever born. He's the first one with a belly button. Isn't that great? He's, he's the firstborn. He's one of us, all right? Abel was the secondborn. Abel kept flocks. Cain worked the soil, farmer and... and uh, uh, herdsmen, all right? In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. All right? Not the first fruits. Is that what it says? No, it says fruits. doesn't say first fruits, right? Cain just brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions. Oh, God loves fat. All right? You ever want to make something that smells good to God? Burn some fat. He loves it, okay? Fat portions from the what? Of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. So God liked what Abel brought to him. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very... And his face was... All right? So he was angry... And he was becoming depressed, all right? And one of the things that's important to know also is if you have a shrunk prefrontal cortex for any, an extended period of time at all, it's possible that that will turn into depression. And they found that people that have had uh, prefrontal cortex shrunk for an extended period of time, that they do battle with depression. So what I'm teaching you today could possibly get some of you out of that depression and off some medication. Wouldn't that be nice? All right, so Cain was angry, his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. What is he saying? You have the power to change what you're thinking about this situation. You have the power to change this, and you can change the outcome of this. Now Cain said to his older brother, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. All right, so here we have this murder. Then the Lord said to him, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? 
Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. All right, so Cain, firstborn human, one of us. Straight out of the chute, murderer. Boy, let that sink in. Two brothers. Best of them was killed. What? He was the good one, right? Straight out of the chute. This is how humanity got started. Bad things happened to someone that was good. There's, there's so much to unpack in this story. So what happened here? Why? Well, let's look at Cain. Cain got threatened. In Relate, we talk about three threats in life. What are they? Some of you know these. Security, significance, social status and significance, and intimate relationships, right? All right, so how was Cain threatened? Well, his significance, absolutely. He wanted to be more significant to God, right? His security? What, you want me to give you the best of what I have, God? Seriously, right? Security? Intimate relationships? Probably threatened with God and his brother, obviously, he was angry at his brother. So Cain's brain went into fight or flight mode. And instead of finding his values, valuing his brother's life, valuing life, valuing his relationship with God, what did he do? He cut it off. He turned to the one who was getting it right and blamed him. Why did you have to be an overachiever, Abel? You make me look bad. And so he killed him. All right? Let me ask you a question. Does God judge us based upon what someone else is doing? Or does he judge us based upon what we're capable of doing? What we're capable of doing. So God wasn't judging Cain based upon what Abel did. God was judging him based upon what he was capable of doing. And you better know, God, is, God knows what you and I are capable of doing. And what are we capable of doing? What was, able, or what was Cain responsible to do in this moment? He was responsible to give God what God likes. Instead, he gave God what he didn't like. Second best. And so in our relationship with God and with each other, we've got to learn what each other likes and what each other doesn't like. We've got to learn what God likes and, and give Him what He likes. Why? Because God is so demanding and mean and evil. No. If you give anything to Him for that reason, He's not going to like it. We give it to Him because we love Him. So 
So God's judgment of Cain was based upon Cain's potential. The only comparison made here was the difference between the sacrifices so that we could understand it. One was the first fruits and one wasn't. All right? So Cain could have rerouted his thinking and everything would have been different. Even God couldn't stop him from going on his rampage. Well, he could have, but it would have broken his, his boundaries. God tried to get him to reroute his thinking. God himself stepped in and tried to get him to reroute his thinking. And he wouldn't. He was stubborn. The Lord said to Cain, what's wrong with you? Why do you have such an angry look on your face? And look at the invitation here. If you had done the right thing, you would be smiling, but you did the wrong thing. And now sin is waiting to attack you like a lion. Sin wants to destroy you, but don't let it. God's like, this, is, this can be fixed. Don't let it happen. Don't let this get worse. It can be fixed. Cain didn't even reroute his thinking, didn't want to. He didn't even, with God's coaching, he wasn't even going to entertain it. So how could have Cain rerouted his thinking? What could he have said? Well, it could have been, all right, what's going on in my heart? Why, did, why do I have murderous threats I want to bring against my brother? Why do I feel this way? What's wrong inside of me? What, what could he have found? Well, we do have some scriptures in the New Testament that help us to know this is what was going on in his head. One, he didn't believe God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it was by faith that Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. God said he was pleased with the gifts Abel offered and called Abel a good man because of his faith. What is he saying? Abel believed God. Cain didn't. By believing God as your provider, by believing God as your sustenance, by believing that, hey, if I do give this to God, he's going to take care of me even if I don't, I, I just got to trust him with it. Abel believed God. Cain didn't. All right? It's a big difference. Believing God means that you're also able to not hold out on God, that you give and love Him and take care of Him and bless Him. Did you know you could be a blessing to God? It's awesome. Secondly, he partnered with Satan, the accuser and slanderer. John, the beloved apostle, he wrote this. We must not be like Cain, who joined the evil one and then killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because he was deep in the practice of evil, while the acts of his brother were righteous. What did he do? He gave up his relationship with God, with his brother, and he went after this relationship with the evil one. You see, we have to understand that the accuser is who he is. And as soon as Cain started accusing his brother of being the problem... What happened? He joined partnership with Satan in that because that's what Satan is. He's the accuser. Anytime I'm accusing, anytime I'm slandering somebody, anytime I'm looking around, pointing the finger at somebody else, saying, well, they're doing this and he's doing that and all of that. Anytime that's happening, I have joined partnership with the enemy. And that's exactly what Cain did. Cain looked at his brother and saw someone that was accepted while he wasn't, and he started pointing the finger. And instead of doing what it takes to be right, which he could have, he murdered him. You see, to be accepted, he was going to remove the competition instead of just getting himself right. And God's invitation is, no, I want you to forget about everybody else and how good everybody else is getting things done, and I want you to take care of you. 
Cain had what you and I have. Sin. The third thing, he was driven to profit. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this. He said it will be terrible for them. He was talking, I won't get into the context of this, but he brings in Cain into the situation. He's talking about these people. He says it will be terrible for them. They have followed the way of Cain, and for money, they have given themselves to doing what Balaam did. All right? Um, He was driven to profit. Cain actually believed that withholding from God would give him greater wealth. So let's do some relate work here. So we've already talked about how he could have rerouted his thinking. He could have seen where he was messed up inside, right? His own thinking. How could he have elevated others? He has elevated others. Elevate others. How could he have elevated? Who could he have elevated in this situation? His brother? Who else? God. All right? God, you're important to me. Abel's important to me. I'm going to stop doing the direction, going the direction that I'm going, right? He could have elevated others. L is list my threats. We've already kind of talked about this. What are the three threats? Security, significance, intimate relationships, all right? He was, we already talked about how he was threatened, all right? So he could have listed his threats. Here's the key about listing your threats. You got to take those threats to God. This is where you back up and and change your thinking as well. You ask this question: What does God say about my security? Come on, what does God say about your security? It's taken care of. For how long? Forever. Even if you don't see it here, what does that mean? You see, God is calling us to get our minds set on the other side so that we can live this life right. God has taken care of your food, your clothes. He says, I've gone to prepare a place for you, a house, that even if you end up homeless and desperate here, you can live out the Christian life believing that God has taken care of you. Isn't that awesome? But you've got to trust Him with it. All right? Significance. What does God say about your significance? Who are you to Him? You're His child. You're part of the bride of Christ, right? You're His child. You belong to Him. Where's He written your name? In the Lamb's Book of Life? Where else? The palm of His hand. He knows you. You know, and when you do your devotions and when you look for these things, pay attention. Let them sink into your heart. God knows how many hairs are on. He knows how many hairs. He's numbered the hairs on my head. Wow, that's huge. He knows when number 3,500 falls off. He knows those things. What about your intimate relationships? What if everybody on this earth misunderstands you and walks away or just turns away because they don't want you anymore. Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's your security? Do you believe that? 
Do you believe you're significant to him? Don't you just feel the weight of life lifting off of you right now? When you tap into those values that you believe, it doesn't matter what anybody does to you. This is what Jesus was screaming to us from the cross. As he hung on the cross, don't let him threaten you. I've got it covered. Trust me. Believe in me. He could have died any other way. James David, would you come? But he chose the cross, scorning and shame. What did Jesus do? He let him strip him bare. They took off of his off his beautiful clothes that he was wearing. They sold pieces of them. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he was saying, Look, look, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They're not a threat to me. They've beaten him beyond recognition. They could see his bones. The pain and the agony I can only imagine. And Jesus is praying for him. Jesus rerouted his thinking, right? He is turned from my sin. A is accept my part. T is turned from my sin. E is enlist accountability. We'll talk more about those later. Accept my part has to do with our sin that we participate in. He participated in pride, anger, which led to murder. Just that quick. The very first son of man. That quick. So Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go for a walk. And when they were out in the field, Cain killed him. Afterwards, the Lord asked Cain, where is Abel? Am I my brother's keeper? How should I know? hear the sarcasm in that? The Lord said, why have you done this terrible thing? You killed your own brother and his blood flowed onto the ground. Now his blood is calling out for me to punish you. So let this, let's just take a moment and let's just get sober here. Let's have a very clear, a moment of clarity You and I need to know this information. That every injustice that we have brought has to be made right. Because God is just. 
When the blood was spilled, it calls out to him for justice. The same is true for us. If, if we've talked bad about somebody, there's got to be brought justice, justice brought to that. If we've been angry with someone, if we've lied, if we've cheated, if we've stolen, if you've dishonored your parents, if you worshipped another god, looked with lust, all of these offenses cry out for justice. Every single one of them. But here's the good news. That's what the blood of Jesus covers. He took all of our injustice on the cross and he paid the price for that. Have you hurt someone? Every infraction, every one, every single one, the beauty of it, it's been paid for. Oh, well, that's great. I'm free, John. Let's go to lunch. Now, this is where gratitude kicks in and relationship. God, thank you so much for washing me and cleansing me and bringing justice to every one of my injustices. Listen, you might be a mean, old, crotchety, sarcastic, selfish, selfish abusive goober and like Cain was, you might be that person, but you need to know that the blood of Christ cleanses you and washes you from every infraction, every sin that you've ever committed. And if you're wise, you will let that bring great gratitude into your heart. And know all you have to do from this moment on is love God and love the people around you. And you don't have to be afraid of whatever that happens in this life. You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to be threatened by it. Listen, this takes work. It takes work. You have to decide. Every thought is going to be vetted. When someone speaks to me, I'm going to pull out the right, I'm going to pull out the truth, and I'm going to only let the good come in. When someone cuts me off on the road, I'm going to pull out the truth. I'm not going to let that thought just fester and kill me. Father, today we ask you to help us in our thinking. We've destroyed so many things in our lives that could have been the good. Today we ask you to help us to take captive every thought and bring it into submission and obedience to Christ. Help us to rewrite the stories of our lives 
to be truthful. The things that have hurt, maybe the anger that we've held on to, help us, oh God, to rewrite the stories of our lives, to reflect truth. And God, those that did hurt us intentionally, we turn them over to you. And we know that you've brought justice and you will bring justice to us. We give them to you. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you need a relationship with God. Today's the day. God wants to put His Spirit inside of you. For you to begin to think with your soul, not just with your brain. For you to have the inside of you alive in Christ. Gives you a new perception of life. Would you just accept Him right where you are? Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. I ask you to come in and help me. Heal me. Spiritually, I want a relationship with you, God. And I ask you to help me to have that relationship. I invite you in. In Jesus' name, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the blood. In Jesus' name, amen.